Securities offered through Securities America, Inc. Member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Thank you, folks, for joining us this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. This is John Grace and my cohort, Daniel Medina, with uh, Fiscal Fitness, and we're delighted that you could join us. We're going to be talking about a number of topical issues relative to the market, relative to how we can invest so that maybe we don't have to let the money go down like the Titanic, never to see the light of day in 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 life for the rest of the, our lives, right? Uh, but looking at particularly what's going on with minorities, and as I say, we think it's very important for people to see what kind of options they have relative to how they might manage their money. And there's no one answer for everyone. There's no one size fits all. There's no panacea. Uh, so we don't want to uh, even attempt to make that kind of a statement. But we also see that it is the case that many of us don't see the kinds of options that we might have that may work for this situation better than that situation, or be able to address some of the things that we don't see that might be in the cards to be prepared for the good, the bad, and the ugly. So just to give you a little quick background, we uh, have been with Investors Advantage. I started it, uh, founder and president back in 1979. We're associated with the Elite Financial Network along with the broker-dealers, Securities America. And by virtue of being in that combination, the team manages about $800 million as of October 2019. Uh, so we're, this isn't the first time to the rodeo. We've seen a lot of things happen and we've learned a lot of things starting with 86, uh, then continuing on to 2000, 2008, 2009, uh, fourth quarter 2018, first quarter 2020. So there are some things that we think people need to know. And for the most part, that's the reason that we are here to share some of these concepts that you typically don't hear in the news. You, and, 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 and I think it's true. I, I often say that after being in the business for 40 years, I can apologize for my peers. Sometimes I think we get so comfortable with the way that we've always done things. I'm talking about my peers, Daniel, and my peers, professionals, and Daniel's been with us since 2006. So we get stuck in what we learned the first year and then repeat it 30 years later, every year for the same, the next 30 years. So I'm afraid that it looks to me as though we might not have learned anything because we keep saying the same things we learned when we first got started and is not as though anything has evolved or there have been any improvements in the equation. So we keep saying the same old, same old. We won't be doing that to you. And, and let's start with uh, what, we, what we tend to do on this show is give you a perspective of what's been going on in the market from January 1 through today. And of course, the market hasn't closed yet. It closed at one o'clock our time. But the interesting thing is for you to get a perspective as to what's happening, at least for the year, what we look at, of course, is the media only shows us what happens every day. And of course, it becomes very challenging to be able to get to discern any kind of a trend if we're looking at everything in a nanosecond. And clearly, 
a trend takes longer than every day. So let's look at the uh, the NASDAQ from January 1 uh, through 3.06 Eastern time as of right now. Year to date up about 31.2%. That's a remarkable run. It's a very nice return. Then we look at the, and the NASDAQ of course is a representation primarily of tech stocks. Then we look at the um, the the bigger barometer, that would be the S&P 500, and it seems to be the most popular way of kind of evaluating what the market is doing because you have a broader representation of uh, companies as well as numbers of companies. And we see year-to-date the uh, S&P 500 is up about 8.06%. Then it gets a little more interesting. Those are very good numbers, you know, over 30, up 8 and we see that the Dow Jones, which started as the Dow 10, now it's the Dow 30. So it might be looked at as old style companies, which would include financials and automotive and things like that. But it's actually only up two tenths of 1%. So that's 0.02% year to date for the Dow. So what I hope you can see here is the disparity that we're all in the middle of. Some things are soaring like 40,000%, it appears. Certainly the, the, the NASDAQ is up significantly, and yet the Dow is up, well, I would say very modestly. It's barely in positive territory. And in fact, it has been in and out of negative versus positive territory for the year. So when we look at some of the things that are occurring right now, it, it, it looks as though this presidential election is playing out differently than it did just a month or two ago. In other words, uh, there were those who thought that a, uh, a democratic presidency would be dangerous to the market. Uh, and, and, and in fact, certainly the market isn't fond of uh, increased taxes, which uh, Joe Biden has uh, suggested over for those making over 400,000, there would be increased uh, amount of, of taxes that need to be paid. And by the way, we think that needed to happen. There need to be more. The revenues that the, the, the country, the states are generating are, are insufficient. So that should have changed a long time ago. We're not shocked by that. But what we are seeing is that the market seems to have learned to stop worrying and embrace the blue wave. So whether it's just a uh, Democratic presidency or it turns out that the Democrats control both the White House and the Senate, it looks as though the market is uh, looking at that positively. Uh, and, and, and I see one study, Bank of America's October Global Fund Survey, showed that 60% of its respondents expecting the result to be contested, but three quarters said it was the outcome likely to cause the most disruption. Now it looks, uh, this, this, I'm not sure how early this was in October, but apparently the way it looks right now is that it doesn't look like there's going to be much market disruption because we might actually have the results faster than we thought just earlier this month. So that's interesting. And, and part of uh, the uh, piece of the puzzle that's also interesting is um, the notion that by virtue of having a president who might be a little more thoughtful or um, not as chaotic, that that might be uh, good news as far as the world economies are concerned relative to different governments, but also in terms of uh, commerce that may uh, again ha happen again or you know come back to, the, to where it was because I think uh, we, some people would submit that the United States recently has been kinder to its adversaries than our uh, cohorts, uh, our, our allies. In fact, uh, some would suggest that we've treated them differently. <laughs> we reversed the, 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 the process. We, we were kind to our adversaries and unkind to our allies when we're typically kind to the allies and unkind to the adversaries. So it, it's been interesting, but things are changing. And the whole thing that we want to make sure you understand is how can you 
do well no matter what the market might do. Uh, if the market's off significantly, but your account's not off significantly, in fact, if it's off maybe within your expected parameters, that to our way of thinking is a better way to go than expecting, you know, hold and hope, buy and hold, sit and take it, just do whatever it does, and hopefully it will recover. So we think a better question is, let's discover what kind of loss might be acceptable to you, and then see, and we'll get into this with, uh, with Keith Stemple uh, from AssetMark to understand how some companies that uh, came into business in the late 90s, so they're not as old as uh, the mutual funds and the exchange-traded funds that have so much in the way of name recognition. But we think for some situations and some clients, they might do a better job of keeping your assets from being handed to you by virtue of uh, trying to win by losing less, to limit the loss as opposed to carry through the losses. And I mean, just to make it real simple, if your account is off 40%, Daniel Medina is a math man, I think I, I've got this right, Daniel will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the uh, the gain you need after a 40% loss is like a 66.6% return to get back to even. Now, I would submit that might be a little daunting. If, on the other hand, the loss could be limited to, let's say, 20% or less, well, let's just stop at 20%. If it's at 20% in terms of the loss, you need a gain of 25%. So certainly, most of us would be happy to accept a lesser loss to, to require a lesser gain as opposed to a greater loss. And of course, that means a much greater gain because that uh, to overcome that negative number, the, the, the larger it becomes, it's like a hole that just keeps getting bigger and it becomes exponentially more difficult to get from uh, that low point back to the starting point. So now this is something that uh, Daniel and I uh, thought was fascinating uh, to show thanks to uh, Yahoo Finance just the uh, Monday to look at the disparity in terms of how uh, stock ownership is playing out relative to racial, uh, racial ties to see that uh, while stocks are soaring, we see that uh, most minorities, unfortunately, as far as we're concerned, are completely missing out. So, uh, you know, a lot of people right now are pouring money into the stock markets. And we see that uh, as of the, about this 2019, it looks as though 65% of white Americans own stocks, primarily in a retirement account, where for black Americans, it's 44%. And for Latinos, it's uh, 28%. And it seems as though there might be some overlap in terms of what the reasons are for so many of us as minorities not to be in this game. But let me turn to Daniel to say, Daniel, what do you see relative to uh, Latinos? What keeps our, 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 our people, our brothers and sisters, our Latino families out of the stock market? Well, thanks, John. It, this is something. This is something I think we're both pretty passionate about. Being Latino myself, it, always looking at what we're doing or what we're not doing and questioning why. So when you when you say or when you look at numbers like that, where only twenty eight percent of Latinos own stock, whether it be in their four hundred and one k or outside or whatever, wherever it is, it's a fascinating number. And looking back, it's it makes sense to me because what we tend to focus on more than anything is buying a house as if that's the only investment that that Latinos can make or possibly starting a business. But there's never, I know in my household growing up, there was never conversations about, about owning stocks or how they worked or, or any of that because there was just no access to it for myself. I didn't learn about this world until I started in the business back after college. And I would say that's late. 
And I don't know about your household, John, but that's, that, that, that's late. And it's something that should be talked about. And it's, it's a, it's really a disservice to, to our communities when we're not talking about these kinds of things, because there's, we have access to it. We, we have access to it and we have to open our eyes. Okay. And it's not as though there's any kind of a mandate that you must participate, but think of it this way. We find that sometimes by virtue of greater diversification, in other words, investing in areas that you're not as familiar with sometimes provides a dampening when you see a gain in one area and a loss in another. We like that combination because it reduces the loss overall. But if we're stuck in one area and we're only, you know, invested in real estate because it's tangible, which seems to be something that minorities are, 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 are agree we're very fond of. So let's buy all the real estate we can get and I don't have to worry about losing it. And then some people are, are say, well, that's just for white people investing in the stock market. That's just for white people. That's not for anybody else. Well, that's not true. But if we don't open our eyes, we don't see how we might diversify outside of some of the things that we're comfortable in to areas where the gains may be larger or, as I say, uh, somewhat. Uh, in, in fact, we were looking, Daniel and I, at 2008, where most people would uh, look back and say there was nowhere to hide where you couldn't avoid losing money. Everybody lost. Well, that's just not true. Uh, some positions were up uh, nicely, some uh, dramatically. But uh, the point is, is that if we were in some of those positions, we might see some of that dampening effect to the markets where in 2008, we saw real estate and stocks, along with bonds, have a tough year. So if there was some money somewhere that had a positive return, it makes you feel a little bit better about looking at a portfolio where there's some green as a poor black in terms of a positive number, as opposed to just seeing red numbers. So I think you're right, Daniel. I know, yeah, in my household, uh, we talked about uh, real estate. Uh, my godmother was in the real estate business, so she would get me all excited about being able to buy a house at 24, but no one had any conversations about stocks and bonds and things of that nature. Uh, but I was best man in a Jewish wedding, and that's how I got the introduction to look at, geez, this might this is fascinating to me. And, and the idea that you could put some money somewhere and it'd be liquid, for example, and it'd be worth more than you would get, let's say, at a bank account, even when those returns were double digit, it, it, it's, a, it's a good feeling. It, it, it feels like you did something. In fact, it feels like you were smart. Now, the truth is you, it has nothing to do with smart. It's all luck. <laughs> those gains were not something that you could foresee. And it's completely out of your control. But also are the, the losses completely out of your control. So to be able to look at what the options might be and see how we might provide for more consistency, we think it is a good idea. And certainly we want people to put together plans so that they can see what it takes to become financially independent. So that way, you know, in 20 or 30 years, whatever your time frame is, that you can afford to make work optional by virtue of having the same equivalent income after you stop working as you were working to make sure shows up every 30 days. But now we have to live off of our assets and most of us just don't have uh, the kind of assets that we need to maintain the same purchasing power as we had when we were working from day to day. A lot of us actually focus on the wrong things. The, the, the goal is to pay down the house and then the idea is that I won't have a house payment ever and then I can just survive on whatever I, whatever I make. That's not a bad plan, but that's not a full plan. That shouldn't be the only thing people focus on. It should be a combination of things. Paying down the house, maybe some of it. Putting away money in a four hundred one k and a retirement plan, maybe some of it. Part of that's going to be part of that income is going to be based on Social Security. Is how many people actually look at their Social Security statements and 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 figure out how much they're going to get at what time. 
those are crucial pieces that people just don't do. Yeah, and I, I found this interesting from Raphael Bostic. He's president of the Federal Reserve of Atlanta. In a recent speech, he uh, reported that the typical black family has less than $13 in wealth for every $100 held by the typical white family. And now the lower rates of stock ownership are a small reason why. The most important factor he identifies may be restricted access uh, that black borrowers had to mortgages and affordable housing through decades of, of redlining and other discriminatory discriminatory practices. But again, we just, I, I would submit that we've got to broaden our exposure, see what else the world has to offer. And certainly it makes sense, particularly when we're working to set aside a specific amount of money from the top of the paycheck every month to see, uh, we use this example of a frontline worker trying to get to 70 with $2.6 million to bring back the equivalent of $100,000 household income today, they need to set aside 15% of their income every year, every month, that's $15,000 a year. And, and if they get a 7% annualized return for the next 30, 35 years, they know they're on track for 2.6, which at that point becomes an income starting at the equivalent of $100,000 in 2020 dollars. So Daniel, uh, we've got to go to break and we'll be back on the other side, but give us our homework if you would and make sure you touch on those, uh, those calculators that we, we'd like for people to at least know about and put into practice. Thank you, John. You can find us at, on Twitter at MoneyOnCourse. We are also on Facebook. You can find us under Investors Advantage and our website is ybpoor.com. You can always reach us out to us by email at contact at ybpoor.com. And please make sure you check out our financial calculators at ybpoor.com forward slash calculators. Thank you. So we're going to go to break and we'll be back with Keith Stimple with Asset Mark, a name that uh, we certainly have a lot of respect for. It hasn't had a, a lot of play in the media because they don't pay for advertising, which means that their expenses can be less than those that do. But we're going to talk about the work that they do. They've been around since 1996. I think they're managing somewhere around $39 billion. Uh, so Keith Stimple is going to bring us up to speed to help us understand what's the difference between active management as compared to passive management when it comes to investment strategies. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance. Coupled with a sound plan for the future, with the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. John Grace and Daniel Medina, your co-hosts in crime with uh, Fiscal Fitness. And we're delighted to have uh, Keith Stimple, uh, a regional consultant with Asset Mark Capital to join us. And we are looking at uh, some of these companies that we think do really good work. And many of them uh, don't necessarily advertise. So they're not household names. But sometimes the firms that don't advertise, in our opinion, do better work than the firms that do, or at least different work. And it's your chance to look at what might work better for you. That's the real question. So uh, as I mentioned on the other side of the break, I believe uh, Asset Mark is a certainly a powerhouse with $39 billion of assets under management. And I want you to know, when we talk about investment strategies and we talk about financial plans, I want you to know that uh, we make sure that as we create plans for clients, that they have three things in common. Everything is customized and that's what Keith will be talking about. So some of the numbers we really can't get into because each uh, situation is different, but we can give you some of those concepts in terms of how losses might be limited. But our, uh, every, as I say, plan we do is customized thanks to the work of Daniel Medina, our, our, our math man. And they have the, these three, three things in common. They are strong, they are safe, and they are simple. And when I say strong, what I want to make sure you understand is they're designed to weather market uncertainty, the good, the bad, and the unknown. That's what we want for you. They're safe because they help mitigate risk. We want to look at the risk, identify it, and see how we might be able to avoid unnecessary risk. And simple means that, guess what? You understand what you're doing with your money and why. It's just not sitting somewhere on a statement that you forgot and it's two years old and you changed addresses. No, we want you to see, as we were talking about with the example, and by the way, we do uh, financial plans at no cost for frontline workers as a way of supporting our frontline workers because these essential workers do so much for us, they get so little in return. So Daniel and I will sit down in 90 minutes and help them put together a financial plan. And that's the example that we're using where this 35-year-old couple say they're the same age, wants to retire at 70, so that's 35 years, and now they can see the path might, that might work is to set aside $15,000 a year, get a 7% return, and then by the time they turn 70, they can see that's 2.6 sitting there behind door number one, from which they can safely take out uh, the equivalent in $2020 of $100,000 a year over and above the small pension and the uh, social security we make sure that we give them credit for. So Keith, uh, please help us understand. Most of us have been taught that when it comes to investing, the only thing you need to do is keep investing, 
but make sure that you go for the lowest uh, cost position, whether it's an exchange traded fund or a mutual fund. You look for platforms that are free and uh, just be passive as an investor and let the market do all the work for you. But you represent a firm that actually is more involved in active management. So help us understand the difference between professional management that is passive versus professional management that is active, please. Yeah, great question, John. And first of all, thanks for having me, uh, both to you and Daniel. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, as you mentioned, um, I work for a company called AssetMark, and I have for the past 18 years. And uh, AssetMark uh, is not known by many end investors because we do work specifically with financial advisors. So our, um, our messaging and our, um, our marketplace is really the financial advisors to provide them with uh, institutional investment management solutions, like John said, that are both active and some are much more um, passive uh, to help the advisor then custom craft an investment strategy for each client based on their unique goals and objectives. So as John mentioned, we have been around since 1996. Um, we work with about 10,000 financial advisors across the country. And uh, our, our main role is to really go out and find the top tier investment management firms in different disciplines. Um, one of those disciplines is what we call core market strategies. And these would generally, John, be the more passive ones. So this is where you're going to find names like American Funds and Vanguard and um, uh, BlackRock and firms like that that might be the more household names many people know. Uh, the other investment discipline is called tactical or, as you said, active. And really what that means is these managers have flexibility to make a lot of proactive changes to maneuver through the markets or even out of the markets uh, in an attempt to manage through risky environments better. Uh, the third discipline that we, um, that we have strategies in is called diversifying strategies, which are really low risk, um, still actively managed, but just lower risk types of portfolios. And so for a lot of investors, combining these three together is the best way to manage through what I always call our cloudy crystal ball. <laughs> Ours is as cloudy as anybody's. Right. Uh, and, uh, and really blending together the benefits of core or passive management with tactical and diversifying strategies to create a, a more efficiently and effectively diversified portfolio for a client. Because um, John, at the end of the day, the best way for investors to succeed is to stay invested. You know, all too often, whether it's politics or viruses or tech booms and busts or financial crisis, whatever it is, there's always something that can drive us to make reactions and make emotional reactions. And the majority of time, those emotional reactions when it comes to investing are not in our best interest in terms of the long-term success of our portfolio. So hey, can, can, yes. can you go into the, can you define the difference between a core strategy and a tactical strategy? It's just how it works. Sure. So a core strategy, as John said, is generally going to be more passive. Um, so let's say we have a, a portfolio of 60% stocks and 40% bonds. A core manager is going to stick roughly to that 60-40 framework. They might make some subtle changes around the edges. Um, what they will do, though, is they will rebalance. And that is a big value out of these kinds of strategies. And what rebalancing really means is as stocks do better than bonds or bonds do better than stocks and that 60-40 gets out of whack, they will, they will reallocate the portfolio to get back to that 60-40. So if we look at 2020 so far in the first quarter, uh, we had a lot of volatility. The market was down roughly 30% in 18 days. So bonds did a lot better than stocks. And so those 60-40 portfolios might have shifted to more of a 50-50. 
Now, if a strategist did not rebalance back to 60-40, then when the market recovered so quickly, we would have left gains on the table. So a lot of strategists did do that rebalancing, which did position them better for the, the uh, up market that we saw coming out of the first quarter. Um, so generally speaking, though, they're going to manage to a stock bond framework and stick relatively close to that. Tactical managers, by contrast, or active managers, don't have a 60-40 target or, a, or, or any kind of a target. Their target is really to make active changes and make money when markets are good and protect money to the best of their ability when markets are bad. Now, uh, there is no uh, clear crystal ball. There is no perfect utopian strategy that gets the timing right every time, right? When investors hear that story, they say, yes, that's what I want. The benefit of that is that these managers have the flexibility to step off the train tracks if they see the train coming. Now, they don't always see it coming, and maybe they step off the train tracks and the train doesn't come, right? Um, but the ability for these managers to take risk off the table, and some that we work with did a very good job of that during 2020 or the earlier part of the year, um, allowed them to shelter the portfolio in fixed income or cash positions instead of stock positions, and therefore be better positioned uh, in terms of riding out volatility that we saw. And so the idea really is, is that active management has a role in portfolios. Passive management can have a role too. Uh, John, you start out by saying, people typically focus on costs. And that is one factor to investing, uh, but it's not the only factor. And in those core strategies where we are more passively managed, that's a fine place to focus on uh, cost efficiency and, and lowering fees. But oftentimes in other parts of the portfolio, we're sacrificing benefits by solely focusing on costs. We're not getting access to more proactive risk management or other kinds of strategies that can add value to an investor. So I would just caution that costs are definitely one factor to focus on. They're just not the only one. Well, yeah, and let me uh, say amen to the point you're making by example. Daniel and I had the fortune of working with a position who was in uh, $3 million in a very low cost uh, position. And, uh, and you know, he, he, he believes that he's paying 1%. And he said, well, I imagine your fees would be twice that. I said, okay, let's, let's use that math just for the example, all right? But let's recognize while you went low cost, when the mark was off 37%, your account was off over 40. So what does that mean to a $3 million account? That means you're now minus 1.2 and you're left with 1.8 from your $3 million starting point. Let's suppose to use your scenario that I charge twice as much through companies like AssetMark, for example. And now we can see that uh, by virtue of using some of the more active managers, instead of being down uh, 42%, the account was down no more than 20%. So to go back to a $3 million account, minus 20%, that's minus what, 600,000, you're still left with 2.4 from your 3 million. So there's a big difference between 2.4 and what was the other number, 1.8, like a $600,000 difference. So this is where the rubber meets the road, folks, to really do the math, to don't just go for the cheapest because sometimes you indeed get what you pay for. And, you, and, and let's understand when you do less, then you probably should be paid less. In this case, we see that in a bad market, this they did more. And, and, and here's how it happened. They're looking at the client's account every day. And the question because, becomes, is it risk on or risk off? Are we buying more shares or are we moving to cash? Do we want to put fuel on this fire or do we want to put cash on this particular event? 
And that's the question that we want uh, active management, active management uh, teams to ask and answer every day on behalf of our clients. So that as Keith mentioned, if the market's off 30, 35% from uh, roughly February 19th through March 23rd, and your account, let's say it's off six to 15%, depending on how aggressive you might be, just to use some, some numbers to kind of get your, your to get, get the comparison in the equation. Certainly you can see if I'm off 10, I might need uh, a lot to get back to even. If I'm off, let's use 40, because uh, I was looking at that for another client, and it means like about 66% just to get back to even. Clearly, we'd like to have, uh, that, that's our virtue of win by losing less when we keep the decline from being so severe, as opposed to requiring a Hail Mary pass just to get back in the game. You know, that, that's right, John. And, and, and there, there's two aspects to uh, having downside in your portfolio. Uh, inevitably with investing, there will be downside. It's a matter of how much and how much can you tolerate. And also what your capacity for risk has to be given your goals and objectives, right? There, there's there's a, a necessity to take risk because risk, meaning stocks, generally provide the best returns over time, but also the most risk. And so part of what has to be evaluated by a financial advisor is, what can an investor tolerate? Because if you're down 40% versus 20%, the investor that's down 40% is not only not gonna be as well positioned to recover, they're also much more vulnerable to making the wrong emotional decision and getting out at or near the bottom. Um, we're seeing a lot of these conversations. You haven't asked about elections yet, John, and I'm not gonna comment on politics, but I'll leave that to smarter people than me. Um, but I will say this, uh, there's obviously a lot of strong emotions around this election and there's a lot of uncertainty around this election and whether it's contested or final in the third or whatever right. comes out of it, what it has fed is a lot of people thinking about or taking action on their investment portfolio to align with their political views. And that is one thing that we can look back through uh, tenuous uh, elections as well as those that are not and see that the detachment that has to be there in the discipline with the investment portfolio that has to be there to really detach the political environment from that. Meaning that making a decision today to go to cash because we're fearful of one side or the other side winning has typically not been a successful investment strategy. Um, investing in stocks, I always say, is you know very counterintuitive, or I should say portfolios in general. Uh, if you think about any buying decision you make in your life, whether it's a house or a car or a vacation or whatever, do we want to buy it when the price goes up or when the price goes down? Right? We want to buy it when the price goes down, it goes on sale. Well, when it comes to portfolios and investing, we feel better as an investor when the price has gone up. We might feel a little bit like we're missing out. When the price goes down, there's almost this fear of it's going to go down further, so I'm going to get out or not get in yet. And so it's very counterintuitive to every other buying decision we make as human beings when it comes to the investment markets. And that's, that's one of the reasons why we do work with financial advisors who do planning work with clients is because the plan becomes the, gui the guidepost really, and the advisor becomes the guide to help hold the investor's hand along that path, get them to their goals, and try to remove as much, much of that emotional angst as possible. Uh, again, because emotions are one of the number one reasons why uh, investors fail to reach their goals. Well, and it's something that's so important is when you don't need the money or you're just adding to the account or you have so much time to recover, you can enjoy a lot of market volatility. 
but the rules change dramatically when you start taking withdrawals. So if we look at this example where the account was off 40%, but let's suppose that you needed to take a four or five or a 6% withdrawal, well, now the drawdown is even more severe. We're getting close to 50% as a loss between the market drawdown and the withdrawal necessary to meet your lifestyle because now you're fully retired. When we get to 50%, now we need 100% gain just to get back to, back to even. So that's part of the reason we're saying there's no right answer. There may be a combination of responses to play the game well, but when we're taking withdrawals, we really need to make it a higher priority to see what we can do to limit those losses so that we can recover. And I, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question here, Keith, but at first I want to say to Daniel, uh, before we go to break, let us know how we can uh, identify how much loss we can, we can live with, Daniel, because we have some tools there that these, these fine folks need to know about. But going back to, we're talking about something that I find interesting, uh, Keith, and that's the smart money versus the dumb money. And, and that's not really you know, right, polite language. But what, what we find, for example, is there's a club called the Tiger 21 Club, and uh, by the way, I didn't know about the Tiger 21 Club. Maybe you do. But uh, to learn about the Tiger 21 Club, I, I understand your net worth needs to be north of $100 million. So uh, there are not many of us who are going to know about uh, that kind of place that you can really get some good ideas from. But apparently there are 800 people the president of the club talked about just a month ago. And one of the things that he noticed is that uh, their exposure to traditional bonds and stocks seems to be pretty low, about 20%. The other thing that he identified, which I found fascinating, and I think you can talk about this relative to one of the funds that you have at AssetMark, and that is that a lot of the, he saw that the, the ratio of cash was the highest ever. In other words, it was on, typically, many people have about 5% of their portfolio in cash. Last year, these folks on average moved to 19%, he reports. So we see some people who have gotten out of the market to miss all of this volatility, both to the downside, which is what they really want to miss, but some to the upside, while others, particularly uh, some of the new investors, the millennials, where we've got PPP money, we've got some cash, can't go to, to Vegas, can't go to the track, so I'll, I'll throw it on the, on the, 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 the wheel at, at, at the market where it's red or black, and as long as I make money, I'm, I'm going to be doing just fine. So we'll, we'll come back after the break and have you uh, address that. That, uh, please. Uh, but Daniel, please tell us how to uh, check to see what kind of loss we could accept. So on our website, on our homepage, you'll see a tab titled Riskometer on there on, towards the bottom of the page. You'll see a tab that says, get your risk number. That leads you to our risk calculator, which will tell you, which will help you determine how much risk from a percentage and a dollar amount that you're willing to take in a six month period. Beautiful. We found that to be very helpful and over 400 people have taken advantage of this free service that we provide. So we'll be back and uh, we'll get uh, Keith on the hot seat here to explain what happened with some of the funds back in November. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. 
To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YBPOR.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YBPOR.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Thanks for joining us, taking some time out of your day. We hope this has been useful to you when we talk about fiscal fitness and how to get our fiscal situation as fit as we possibly can because we want to not only survive but thrive. So we have uh, uh, Keith Stumple with us, regional consultant with Asset Mark Capital, and we're asking him uh, both about some of the changes that he saw in portfolios instead of holding shares, how they went to cash. And then we want to ask about what to do with money these days, particularly for people who are wary about all of this uncertainty. So please, Keith. Yeah, thanks, John. Lots to unpack there. Um, you know, just to reiterate, what we talked about a little bit before the, the conversation about cost uh, is front and center in a lot of people's minds. And when we think about cost, again, the areas to save on fees are going to be those more passive types of strategies. The things they do well is they capture market upside. The things they will also do, though, is capture market downside. And so there are times for certain investors and in certain kinds of portfolios we're adding in an allocation to tactical strategies that might be a little bit higher cost, uh, but have more flexibility to navigate through markets in different ways at different times, uh, can add value to a portfolio. Um, There's different ways to be active. Um, uh, Thought maybe Daniel, I'll give a few examples here and and just kind of share with you the way we think about it. Um, Being active is great. Uh, being active can, can lead into more diverse overall portfolios, but there's different ways of doing it. And so as one example, we work with one firm. Uh, they make very active tactical decisions based on market fundamentals. So this firm can be anywhere from 100% in stocks to 100% in bonds and cash. They can go wherever they want, whenever they want, however they want. But their decision-making process is centered around fundamentals. So that means... Uh, what, what, you know, what are the valuations on stocks? How do employment numbers look? How do GDP, you know, economic growth numbers look? Things like that are going to drive their investment decision. 
So based on that process, they went from 100% stocks to 100% bonds back in November of 2019. Now, if you recall, we had a pretty good year in 2019. Very good year. Yeah, great year overall for for stocks especially. Um, Their concern was that stocks had done so well that valuations had become stretched and they, they, they were concerned about earnings of these companies being able to keep up with the new um, high valuations. That caused them to de-risk the portfolio. Now, to be clear, their crystal ball is maybe a little bit less cloudy than mine, uh, but they did not predict a pandemic. They did not predict you know, a national shutdown and all the things that we now know happened. Um, but based on their process, they did get defensive. They looked wrong in December. They looked wrong in January. But when it really came to February and March, um, they were sitting in bonds instead of stocks when the market fell 30% in those you know, three weeks or so. Um, as the market recovered, they did get back into different types of bonds. They did not get into stocks at all and still today are not. Uh, but they created very solid returns for investors uh, over the past 12 months. And most importantly, they did so without touching any stock market exposure and uh, with really uh, expressing a a very limited downside through the risk management that they put into their portfolios. Um, Other managers could care less about fundamentals. They're still tactical, they still have a lot of flexibility, but they might make decisions on more technical factors such as momentum or trends. And so that's the idea that these managers might still be very active and in stocks or in bonds, but as the momentum starts to shift, they have different indicators they look at to de-risk. And so another one of our managers did a very similar thing. They were in riskier asset classes in the fixed income market, not equities, but they went to treasuries in the first quarter and treasuries did quite well, uh, backed by the full faith and, and uh, you know, blessing of the uh, US government. And so they, they were able to ride out that volatility quite well. Once again, created very good returns for investors and have just recently in the past few months begin to add into more of the risky parts of the bond market, still not stocks, um, but they've created very good returns for investors in, in, the, in the past 12 months. And once again, had very limited downside when things got really rocky in the first quarter. And presumably if things get rocky again uh, with the election, you know, they'll be well positioned for that. Well, and that's the thing, folks, uh, some companies, this is what they do, as opposed to some of us, we try to do it ourselves. Uh, a friend of mine uh, told me earlier this year, John, you'll be very proud of me. I, I got my money out of the market. And I go, well, uh, did you get back in? He said, no. I said, well, then you got half of the answer correct. That's 50%. So that's a fail. Uh, you have to determine when to get out, but you have to have a process by which to determine when to get back in. And, and so many of us, particularly for do-it-yourselfers, it's all or nothing as opposed to uh, some of the third-party managers that we're talking about here, it's, it's piecemeal. It may be every other day, every other month. It all depends on the market volatility. As I say, are we putting fuel on the fire because we are seeing a melt up? Or are we putting water on the fire because we're afraid of an <clears throat> even more serious meltdown? And that's really our concern in terms of how ugly we think things will get. We think things are going to get ugly at some point. So part of the reason we're doing this show is to help people understand you have other cards you can play in your deck, but you need to see the deck and see the cards to recognize which ones you might want to play as opposed to playing the same way. 
Because if things get nasty, as I say, where it's the good, the bad, or the unforeseen, you want to keep, if you're trying to get that 2.6, maybe you can live with a 10% reduction in that value from time to time, but you probably cannot live with a 50% reduction to that value. And, and let me just do this for a minute, okay? So let's suppose we've got, we've got one couple, Daniel, I loved working with. They're really savvy. They're not afraid to use words like math and budget. He, they sold two businesses for $5 million. They're taking a 4% withdrawal, seeing an income of about $200,000 a year that works out just fine the way they like to roll. But here was their aha moment. They did not want to watch $5 million get cut again by 50%, let's say from five to 2.5, and still need $200,000 to live the way they like to live, because to do so means that we must take that withdrawal rate from a 4% withdrawal rate, which isn't that excessive, to an 8% withdrawal rate. Now, you live with a 50% loss on top of an 8% withdrawal, now you're at 60%, and what do we need, Daniel, uh, 150% to get back to even at that point? Hello, Daniel. Sorry. Yes, 150 percent is right. It's pretty fascinating how how those numbers uh, get exponentially bigger with those losses. Well, and they talk about that a little bit because it's is one of those things that's completely counterintuitive. Well, mo most people think is that I, if I lose twenty dollars, I have to make back twenty dollars to get back to even, and that's true. But when we're talking about percentages, think about it from a hundred dollars. If you start at a hundred and you go down by twenty percent, then you've lost twenty percent. You lost twenty dollars. Now you need to make back your $20, not on the original 100, but where you're at right now, where is 80. So $20 on $80 is actually 25%. So you need to make back a bigger return than you lost to get back to even. And see, folks, that's why you need a good team to help you process this kind of information and make sure that you're looking at things in a way that might work for you, as opposed to in the way that you think, but that won't work. All right. You're back to 20. You still need another five. You need 25. All right. You're not there yet. So that's why it's so important to look in advance, right? A couple of things. How much loss can you live with? And then go back, if you dare to do this, to see how your portfolio performed, let's say first quarter 2020, uh, fourth quarter 2018. Uh, go back to 2008. And uh, some people, you know, well, my account's back, we're doing fine, but they didn't, they, 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 this is one couple in Hawaii where they said we could, they, they discovered going through the exercise that we shared with you that uh, you, they could live with an 8% loss, discovered their portfolio too was off 42%, which they do not remember because nobody pointed that out, but they, their aha moment was, oh my goodness, we went through that. That was fine then. We're preparing for retirement. We cannot afford to go through that again. So that's really helpful for people to see, geez, we don't want to do that. And is there a way where we might avoid doing as much of that as we don't want to do? But if we don't recognize or, or look to see how those losses could be avoided or certainly reduced, I think uh, we're sitting for uh, a surprise moment, and, and I like to call those an OS moment. Of course, that stands for oh shucks, another oh shucks, oh shucks moment. But if you're taking withdrawals on top of the market decline, um, it's it's not kumbaya that we're singing. <laughs> it's oh shucks. <laughs> so Daniel, I think you had a a question for for Keith. Yeah, Keith and I were talking offline, and he was telling me a little bit about their uh, new security backline credit option. So Keith, can you talk about that? Uh, sure, Daniel. Yeah, the um, you know the the way this all came up, I think we were talking about one of the, one of the outcomes of 2020 so far has been 
uh, we've seen a lot of investors that have um, larger than needed or um, larger than typical cash balances in their accounts. So maybe they did get scared out of the market in the first quarter. Maybe they you know, made some money throughout the year and instead of investing it, just kept it in the bank. Uh, it feels safe. It feels good. The challenge with that, and this is beyond your emergency money and spending money we're talking about. That's what, that's what I mean by excess. But that money in the bank is making very, very little interest uh, due to where interest rates are today. And what, what little interest you are getting paid is fully taxed. And then you have to net out inflation. So systematically, excess money in the bank is actually losing money every single day. And you'll and so never catch up. And you'll never catch up. That's right. That's right. And so the question really is, how can we put that money to work while still acknowledging the fear and the emotion that drove that money to be in cash in the first place? Um, so as I mentioned before, there's those three disciplines, core, tactical, and diversifying. In that diversifying category, there are low risk managers that we utilize uh, that, are, that are in the fixed income markets. And uh, you know, they, they do take risk more than cash. But in the big scheme of things, the analogy I use is if you're uh, standing in front of your house right now with the ladder leaning against the first story, um, you look up at the top and you think, oh gosh, that ladder is scary. You know, which means investors tend to think that getting out of cash is a very binary decision. It's either cash or stocks. What we're talking about is not going to the top rung of the ladder. We're talking about going to the first rung of the ladder. So if you fall off the ladder, you might trip over your shoelaces or stub your toe. You won't break your neck. That's the kind of strategy we're talking about here. So getting that money to work can make investors some money. Let's call it two or three or 4%, whatever the number is, but it's a lot more than negative something. And to address the need for liquidity, uh, we do often utilize a securities backed line of credit, which some people might, might be familiar with a home equity line of credit, which just uh, access to capital should you need it based on the equity in your home. This is based on the equity in your portfolio. Um, so the lending rates vary and the amounts vary based on the size of the account and things like that. Uh, but due to interest rates being very low right now, lending rates are under 3%, regardless of how big or small the account is. The, the, the highest interest rate is right around 3% and it goes down from there. And so a lot of people have been using this as a way to get access to liquidity, either for emergency reserves, should they need it, or for opportunistic investments such as real estate. And it presents an interesting way to take advantage of putting your money to work instead of, again, losing money in cash, but still having access to liquidity uh, in a very cost-effective way should you need it. Um, if the portfolio is structured in a good way, there's even the potential that the interest or the yield on the portfolio could actually offset some of that interest cost on the line of credit as well. So there's a beach entrance, folks, for you to kind of tiptoe in as opposed to dive in. There, there are ways to make sure that the losses are limited, and that's what we like to help you do. So we're delighted that Keith Stipple could be with us, a regional consultant at uh, AssetMark, to kind of explain how some of these systems work. We want to encourage you to continue wearing your masks, right? The three W's, wear your mask, watch your distance, and wash your hands, because we want to see you back here next week, where we'll have another topical uh, discussion about what we could do and how to, how to participate to the extent that we wish, but avoid as much as the unforeseen things that we want to avoid. So we'll, we'll see you right back here, Daniel Medina and I, next week on Fiscal Fitness on Voice America. Bye-bye for now. See you next week. for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics, 